In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 37. Let me give you an introduction, and then we'll take verse by verse. This psalm is 40 verses. We actually study only the first 20 verses, so half of the psalm. The t- every psalm has a title. The title of this psalm, A Psalm of David means it was written by David. David wrote it when he was old. As we read in verse 25 in the psalm, I have been young and now am old. So since he said, now I am old, then we know he wrote it in his old age. And according to some scholars, he wrote it three years before his departure from this world. The sun is one of the alphabetical kind. What do you mean by alphabetical? The first letters of the verses follow the Hebrew alphabet. For example, if it is English, the first verse starts with A, second verse B, third verse C, and so on. But it follows the Hebrew, not the English, Hebrew alphabet. And this psalm actually is not a prayer. He is not speaking to God or praising God. Just it is an instruction. Just it gives us an instruction. So it is a wisdom psalm. A psalm of wisdom. Directed not to God but to men. So David is speaking to us. He's not directed to God. To teach us exactly like the book of Proverbs. When you read the book of Proverbs, it gives you an instruction. So this psalm, like the book of Proverbs. The psalm deals and answer a very important question. The prosperity of the wicked and the affliction of the righteous. Many times we say wicked people prosper in this world. And we say, how come? Where is God? Where is justice? Especially when we see the righteous suffer during this age. And this question actually perplexed many from since Adam until now. And the answer to this question, that the happiness of the wicked will not last. And the justice of God will assuredly reestablish the right. God will punish the evil and he will reward the righteous. Maybe not on earth, but in life to come. Actually, there are two psalms, besides Psalm 37, addressed the same question. The first psalm is 73, just to switch, 37, 73. And the other psalm, 49. So these are three psalms addressing the same question. 37, 73, and 49. The outline of the psalm, we can divide it into four sections. From verse 1 to 11, counseling the faithful, counseling the righteous. From 12 to 20, the victory of the wicked is short and temporary. The victory of the wicked is short and temporary. From 21 to 31, the reward of the righteous is unquestionable. This will happen, will happen. Then from 32 to 40, the final contrast 
of the retribution of the wicked and the recompense of the righteous. Right? So let's start from verse 1. We will read verse by verse from verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. So David begins with a warning and advices for time of temptation when we are tempted to envy the evil uh, workers. He cautions the faithful, the righteous, when they see the wicked prospering, not to be tempted to imitate them or to be angry with God. Why you allow this? As if God is treating us unjustly. I told you Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is written by Asaph, not by David. Asaph himself was bothered by this problem when he saw the prosperity. As you read the beginning of the psalm, 73, wondering why the wicked often experience so much prosperity. So, if we allow ourselves to envy the wicked, we shall be tempted to follow their example. As we read in Proverbs, 24 and verse 1, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. It is unwise to envy them. Their position is not worthy or enviable. So don't envy them. We ought to be Content. It is not wise to envy anyone godly or ungodly. St. Augustine said in his commentary on verse 1, he said, This what disturbs you who are a Christian? He's saying, Is this what disturbs you who are a Christian? That you see men of bad lives prospering and surrounded with abundance of things like these, you see them sound in health, distinguished with proud honor, and your heart says that there is no divine judgment, that all things are carried to and from by accident, and blown about in disorderly and irregular motions. For if God, you say, regarded human affair, would his iniquity flourish and my innocence suffer? So St. Augustine is saying, when you see the prosperity of the wicked, don't say God is absent. Everything happened on earth here is just random. Because me as innocent, I suffer and the wicked, they are flourish. When you study Psalm 37 and Psalm 73, you will find that both David and Asaph came to the right answer, which is the prosperity experienced by the wicked only temporary. Temporary. That's why in verse 2, he gives the answer. 
he said in verse 2, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. So, uh, in order to show us how their prosperity will be, he took the idea from the grass and he told us they shall soon be cut down like the grass. You know when the grass starts to grow and you go and, and cut it down? So this prosperity will be cut down soon. Grass is green for a season, the same for the herb. But both grass and herb wither quickly. So the grass which in the morning looks green, pretty and flourishing, in the evening cut down and fades away. So that's the prosperity of the wicked. So the wicked prosper and flourish for a while. Then they perish with all their honor, their riches, and their health, and their wealth. Their happiness is very short-lived one. And therefore, it does not need to be envied, to envy them, or fretted at. The wicked may enjoy many and prosperous years here on earth. But these are nothing compared to the lengthy, everlasting happiness of the just in heaven. No doubt, if we compare time on earth here with eternity, here, how long are we going to live? 90? 100? The longest triumph that the wicked ever enjoy here on earth will be 90, 100 years. But if you compare this with the eternity, Everlasting, it's nothing. So, it is just a brief time and is soon gone if we compared it with eternity. Nowadays, I'm speaking about right now, maybe some of us are bothered to see how much attention is paid in today's culture to people who stand for all wrong things. Homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, abortion, etc. And it might be hard when we see all this evil and wickedness around us. But at the same time, remember that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So you need to shine in the midst of this tasteless and dark world. We cannot let the negative forces around us cause us to live in anger and and wrath, to be angry. How do you do this? How do you do this? Remember your calling. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So instead, we must rely on God to have the ultimate say about evildoers. God will make the decision, ultimate say about evildoers. That's why... In verse 3, he told us, when you see the wickedness and the prosperity of the wicked, what you should do, verse 3, trust in the Lord. Don't doubt the Lord. Don't say there is no divine justice. Trust in the Lord and do good. Do what's right. You are salt and light of the world. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness.
So David's advice to the faithful is to remain in the land. Which land? The land of the promise. God promised us with eternal life. Dwell in this land and feed on his faithfulness. Don't doubt his faithfulness. Remember that God is faithful in his promises and depend on his promises for your protection and support. So, you you will not find satisfaction except in God. The only satisfaction is in God. St. Augustine said the land, when he said dwell in the land, which land? St. Augustine said the land is the church and watered and cultivated by God. This land, the church, watered and cultivated by God. And he said, there are many do good works. Many people do good works. and But they don't dwell in the land. They are not active members in the church. So they don't belong to God. Therefore, do good, as David said in verse 3, do good, but dwell in the land. Do good, but not outside the church, not outside the land. Do good while you are an active member in the church. Trust the Lord. Don't trust in men. Men are fading and perishing like the green grass and tender herb. St. Augustine describes the ungodly way of trusting and says, For they too trust, but not in the Lord. They trust in money, they trust in power, prestige, connection. But their hope is perishable. Their hope is short-lived, frail, fleeting, transitory, baseless. So instead of worrying and envying, David counseled us to simply trust in God and do good for his glory. Do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Don't don't doubt the faithfulness of God. So if you wish to be happy and blessed, you should understand who is the author of all happiness. It's God. So look to God for happiness and not to anyone else. Love God from your heart. Let him be your delight. And then you will be safe. As we read in verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So, when you delight in the Lord, God will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, But I want you to see the order. He said, delight first in the Lord, then God will give you the desires of your heart. He did not say, God will give you the desires of your heart, then you will delight in the Lord. Why? Because when you delight in the Lord, and your heart is with God, then the desires of your heart will change. 
and the desires of your heart will align with God's own desires for your life. Before I delight in the Lord, maybe my desires in the vanity of the world. But when I delight myself in the Lord, my desires will align with his desires for me. Then God will give you the desires of your heart. So, what he means but delight in the Lord, delight in the perfection of God, delight in his power, in his goodness, in his faithfulness, in his wisdom, in his love, in his mercy, in the works of creation, his redemption, in his word, in his church, his house. So these are many, many things. When you meditate on them, you delight in the Lord. So in verse 5, he elaborates more. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? He said, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it it the way to pass. So in verse 5, David explains and elaborates more on what it means to delight in the Lord. It means to commit one's way to God and truly trust in Him. When you are worried, when you are troubled, hand over all your cares and affairs of life, your desires, your necessities to God by fervent prayer, referring them, all your worries, to His goodwill, and He shall bring our life to pass according to His good counsel. Seek the direction of God in everything. So, the true way for us is to do our duty, to do what's right. Then, commit the rest to the Lord. Don't worry. Do what's right and then leave the rest to God. Uh, Verse 6. God, he, shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Sometimes the prosperity of the wicked make us, the children of God, envy them. Because we believe that their prosperity covers and conceals our righteousness. Our life is overshadowed overshadowed by clouds and darkness. Uh, And that's why uh, sometimes we feel it's very unjust. These people are flourishing, but we are as if go unnoticed. So David is telling us, no. For sure, this what you seems to you injustice and unfair will be corrected and changed. How come? The righteous would be like a sun hidden behind clouds and fog. But as he said in verse 6, your righteousness will come forth as a light. So God will remove these clouds and fog 
and it shall be visible to men as the light of sun and as noonday because the light is then the most clear and bright. <coughs> so God will make character of the righteous. God will make the character of the righteous <coughs> perfectly clear and bright. No cloud will remain on it. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him, the wicked, who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Rest in the Lord. The Hebrew word that was translated to rest means be mute, be silent, be still. Don't murmur, don't grumble, make no complaint, but be silent and wait to the Lord because he promised us faithfully he will take care of those who put trust in him. So don't worry, you can rest in the Lord. God actually will bring your light as sun and as noon day. Be always obedient to, the, to God. Leave the whole matter with Him without being anxious as to the result. Thank you. Pray to God constantly, lest the idea of seeing the unjust man successful in the world may tempt you and lead you to injustice. Wait patiently for the Lord, as we read in verse 6. Wait patiently, be content to await his time which is sure it is the right time. God may seem to delay long, but don't worry, justice will be done, whether sooner or later. Just leave this to God. Sorry, it was verse 7, not verse 6. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. When you are angry, it will harm you. It will not harm the wicked person. It will harm you. So verse 8 is a repetition and explanation like verse 1. And throughout the whole psalm, the same idea is frequently repeated. Why? To explain it more clearly and also to fix this idea firmly on our memory. Don't be angry. Don't fret the wicked. So he's advising the faithful to not allow the mind to be driven with envious, fretful, wrathful, murmuring feeling against God because God is patient with the wicked. 
This feeling accomplished nothing except harming you. So, we should know that the supreme direction belongs to God. It is foolish to fret and get angry and to storm against the ungodly whom we see prospering since they will certainly be cut off sooner or later. But those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. As we read in verse 9, for evildoers shall be cut off But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So that's a promise from God. So, verse 9 is another reason why you delight in the Lord and why you rest peacefully in the Lord. You can trust His promise, feed on His faithfulness, that He will take care of His own people not only in this world, but in the world to come. The evildoers shall be cut off. And this also will happen very soon, as we read in verse 9, the evildoers shall be cut off. And in verse 10, he says, For yet a little while, a little while soon, and the wicked shall be no more. Little while, and the wicked shall shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place. You will look for him, but it shall be no more. He's not there. So, the evildoers have their day of prosperity, but it is short-lived. Soon the wicked who are famous and praised in this world will be of no notice or standing at all. You will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. David made a contrast between the wicked and the righteous in in verse 10 and 11. Then he said, the wicked shall be no more, You will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Verse 11, about the righteous. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. He did not say in the abundance of wealth, but in the abundance of what? Of peace. So he made a contrast in verse 10 and 11 between the wicked and the righteous there will be no trace of the wicked. Like a barren tree torn up from the roots, while the meek shall inherit the earth. And who are the meek? How can we define the meek? The meek are those who choose the way of faith with perseverance. They don't trust in pleasures, but they trust in God. So even if the meek suffer, their consolation will be much more than their tribulation, the abundance of peace. They will have peace. So even in the midst of the suffering, they will have abundance of peace. 
they may not have abundance of wealth to delight in wealth, but they have that which is better, better, the abundance of peace. That peace which the world cannot give. The Lord said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Believe me, go and see people who are very, very wealthy and very famous. And sometimes they cannot sleep at night because of the worries and anxiety. And maybe a very poor person, but godly person, has peace. Which is better? All the wealth of the world or just having abundance of peace? Uh, Jesus taught us in the Sermon of the Mountain, Blessed are the meek, for they, they shall inherit the earth. The same that we read in verse 11, the meek inherit the earth. Which earth? St. Augustine said, the land is the one of which we have often spoken is holy Jerusalem. So the earth here is not this earth, but the holy Jerusalem. As we read, I saw in the book of Revelation, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So shall inherit the earth, they shall inherit the holy Jerusalem. The holy Jerusalem, which will live forever with God and on God. Verse 12. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. So, earlier in the psalm, David contrasted the fate of the righteous with the fate of the wicked. Wicked will be cut off. The righteous will flourish. Now, in verse 12 to verse 20, David considered the inevitable conflict between the righteous and the wicked. How the wicked, without any reason, Blots against the just. Their gnashing of teeth shows the depth of their anger and hatred toward us. These blots have been since the creation of men by the wicked against the righteous. That's why Cain killed Abel. What did Abel do? Nothing. But that's how the wicked gnashes their teeth against the just. The Lord told us, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So the wicked used by Satan, the devil, they use every possible way to plot against the true believer. To make the true believer fall into the snares of sin. And if he fails, he gnashes at him his teeth. That's why St. Peter said about the devil, he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Since Cain killed Abel in the old, St. Stephen was stoned to death by the Jews. And until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true believers have been and will be persecuted 
but yet will never be forsaken by God. And the plotting and gnashing of teeth of the wicked, they accomplish nothing against the Lord and his people. At the end, what they can do, just kill the body. But they cannot hurt our hurt or harm our soul or our spirit. That's why what God does, verse 13, the Lord laughs at them. For he sees that his day is coming, the day of the wicked will be coming. So the Lord simply laughs at them, knowing their end. God will laugh at him because he sees the end of the wicked man is just at hand. It is very soon. And that he will be taken off because he can put any of his plans against the just into execution. He cannot harm our souls. He cannot harm our spirit. St. Augustine said, He seems indeed full of wrath, while ignorant of the moral, the, the wicked. Wicked is full of wrath against us. But the wicked is ignorant of the moral. What in store for him? He's threatening the just, but the Lord beholds and foresees his day. What day? The day in which he will render to every man according to his works. Uh, in verse 12, he said, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him his, with his teeth. Then in verse 14, he said, The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. But what will happen in verse 15? Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. So what they are planning against us, it will hurt them. It will turn on them, not on us. So David here explains what he mentioned in verse 12 about the planning and the conspiracy of the wicked. The wicked prepared themselves with a full purpose to destroy the righteous. They don't use one weapon. They have the other weapon, sword and bow. Two weapons. So the wicked stand with drawn swords and bended bow, waiting to shoot with the arrow and to slay with the sword the just man, to cast down the poor and needy. Who are the poor and needy? Poor and needy in temporal and spiritual sense. So poor and needy can be literally or spiritually, as the Lord said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So they want to cause them to fall into sin or some adversity. So the poor and needy are the godly ones <coughs> from their gentleness of their spirit are not able to defend themselves. And in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, we know that the poverty of the spirit should be our purpose. Blessed are the poor in the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who was meek and lowly, was persecuted by cruel enemies, armed with all manner of weapons to kill him. When you read the Gospels, you can see how they planned and planned and planned to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. But we ought to watch and notice how the enemies of the godly people are doubly armed to learn how true were our Lord's words when he told us. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't be surprised when you find the world hates you. You are not of this world. And as he hated Jesus Christ himself, the world will hate us. But uh, we know that the wicked are after blood and after our life. This is what will satisfy them. However, regardless of their attempts, God will protect his own. And their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Their efforts will be fruitless. And their attempts will be in vain. The wickedness they have planned for others shall fall upon them. Read the, the, the Bible. You know, this wicked man, Haman, who planned to kill Mordechai in the book of Esther. And what happened? He prepared a huge cross that Mordechai will be crucified on this cross. But at the end of the story, Haman was hanged upon the gallows, this cross that he built for Mordechai. And many times what happened with Haman is the same case. Saul, King Saul, sought to kill David. And at the end, Saul fell on his own sword. The sword that he directed to David, he was killed by his own sword. So their sword, sometimes like the martyrs, yes, may reach our body. And it pierces our body and kills us. But our hearts and our souls and our spirits will remain unharmed. So, why then would the righteous fret at the prosperity of the wicked? When they are ruining themselves, while they imagine they are hurting the godly, we should not envy them or we should not Uh, fret them. Verse 16. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. So, since whatever the wicked has will not last, the little that a righteous man has is better than all that the wicked possess. Because this will go, will pass away. A small income will be of more value to the just man than a great fortune to the sinner. Because the small income the righteous man has 
will come with its advantages. What the advantages? With the blessing of God, with great fulfillment and satisfaction to his own mind, which is more pleasing and comfortable than all earthly position, with the abundance of peace, with the consolation of the Holy Spirit, with the assurance of everlasting joy. As we read in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Godliness with contentment is a great gain. Godliness and contentment is a great gain. Uh, contentment find much in little. If you have little, but you, you are satisfied. While for a wicked heart, the whole world is too little for them. We ought to understand that what David means here is not that poverty is better than riches. He doesn't mean this. Or a poor man is better than a rich man. But the comparison here between a righteous man and a wicked man. Righteous man was little, wicked man was much. So the sense is that a righteous man's little is better than a wicked man's much. Some righteous indeed in the Bible have been rich, like Abraham, David, Joseph of Arimathea, and others. But generally, the wicked have the largest share of worldly things, and the righteous have the little. The reward of the wicked is to have their own arms broken, as we read in verse 17. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. So, the arm of the wicked will be broken, but for the righteous, the Lord will will uphold them by his own arm. See the comparison? The arm of the wicked will be broken, but for the righteous, God will uphold them with his own arm. Their power, the power of the wicked to do evil, because they do evil with their arm, will be taken away. And they will easily fail. For the arm which they lifted up against God and against his people will be crushed. The wicked depend on the arm of the flesh. They depend on their riches. But the, the riches and their arm cannot afford them any help. But the strength and the power of the righteous will not fail because we depend on the arm of God that will never be broken. Verse 18, The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. What does it mean that the Lord knows the days of upright? means God approves of their lives. Approve our work, what we did, our deeds, what we do. And bless them. And therefore our days will be lengthened. Lengthen the day of peace. And their inheritance shall be protected forever. That's why he said, and their inheritance shall be forever. God knows the days of upright mean God knows our condition, knows everything we do, 
and God also knows everything will happen to us. He knows the danger that we will be exposed to. He knows our fears. He knows our suffering from the wicked people. Therefore, God is watching over us and protecting us from all the plans and attempts of their enemies. Believe me, many plans are planned for us and God remove it even without us knowing it. So, the apparent reward of the wicked is temporary and passing, but the inheritance of the righteous is eternal. Verse 19, They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. The word ashamed means they will not be disappointed. So adversities and troubles will come, but deliverance will come also. The righteous people are never exempt from trouble, so we will see trouble. But they will not be disappointed when they are called to take their share of the trouble, but rather they will cast themselves again upon God, And we will find our expectation that God will arise and will actually deliver us. So their confidence in God will never be ashamed. God can even find a way to provide his own what others have nothing. He opened a road in the middle of the Red Sea. He moved mountain during the time of St. Abraham. So, God will find a way to provide for his own when others have nothing. Even in the days of famine, it may be understood figuratively, a famine, either literal famine, or famine of hearing the word of the Lord, as we read in the book of Amos or literally a proper famine of bread and water. But God would provide for them. He provided for Elijah during the three years of famine through the widow. And and God will not let his people down during the time of famine. So all these are more reasons not to envy or fret the wicked in their prosperity because their prosperity is just temporary. Verse 20, which is the last verse in our Bible study today. For the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke they shall vanish away. So, the word perish here in verse 20 will be relevant to any form of destruction. And many scholars interpret interpret the word perish about the last day, the day of judgment. (coughs) The enemies of the Lord means also the enemies of the people of God. Because his people's enemy are, are his enemies. Do you remember when God appeared to Saul 
Saint Paul before his conversion, uh, conversion, he did not tell him why you persecute the Christian. He told him why do you persecute me? So nothing touches the Lord's people that does not touch him. Whoever touches us, as if he is touching God. As we read in Acts chapter 9, the Lord confronted Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The wicked will vanish away, like the beautiful flowers of the field, the meadows. And like smoke, they will vanish away. As we read in Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascend forever and ever. So smoke can be understood either like smoke vanish away or how their punishment and the smoke of their punishment will be forever and ever as we read it in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11. So, the rainy season, the rainy season, causes the flower of the field to spring up and blossom. But soon, when the sun shines and the strong heat of the day, what will happen? Cause all these flowers wither. Therefore, the flowers are short-lived. The Lord's people were familiar with the smoke that arose from the altar on which lambs were sacrificed. So this smoke vanished away. It arose from the altar, but quickly vanishes. So the success of the wicked, their fame, their prosperity, is temporary like smoke. It never has any real substance and soon vanishes completely. This actually concludes our Bible study tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.